Well, very good morning to you. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning. Oh, I love it. This is great. Thanks for joining us this morning. Glad that you're here. Um, special morning. It's Youth Pastor Preaching Day, a.k.a. the August Long Weekend. I get slotted every year, so this is going to be good. Um, it actually is a special morning. My, my daughter's four today, and I'm excited to celebrate with her. can't believe that, like, just two years ago we got to meet them uh, just, like, two days or in two days' time. It would have been two years. So thanks for praying for us and, and loving us. Um, if you're new or you're visiting, I uh, want to just kind of catch you up to speed what we've been doing. Uh, we've been working through the book of Hosea, uh, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at portraits of God's redeeming love over the last two weeks. And we're in our third week in our series. Uh, the book of Hosea is a minor prophet book found in the Old Testament. Uh, it tells the story and the condition of man's heart, but also the goodness of God's. Okay, the book of Hosea is split into two portions. First is the story of Hosea, a faithful husband, and his adulterous wife, Gomer. And it is in this portion of scripture uh, where we read what some commentary authors would say is the second greatest love story found in all of the Bible. Uh, And it's found in Hosea 3, uh, verse 1, where it's, The Lord says to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. The story of Hosea and his wife is, uh, or gives us a, a bigger picture of how a nation called by God and loved by God and to be used by God uh, throws it all away to have favor and freedom and what they think is security as they fill their lives with sin uh, and align themselves with foreign nations. All while they forgot the love of God and his promise to be, to be his people. Okay? The, the, the second section of Hosea switches, and this is where uh, we've made a, a jump. It's moved away from Hosea and Gomer, and it's moved into this, this section of, of Scripture that is, is about God's judgment, about God's response to his people. We read of the, the lack of desire that Israel had for the Lord, right? They, they worshipped idols. They broke commandments which ultimately showed the condition of their hearts. As they displayed their lack of desire for God and His covenant promise. However, this story, as we discover, confronts us uh, with, with the amazing truth that God is persistent and has an unlikely love for us, an unfaithful people. So with that, let's spend a moment in prayer and we'll move to our text, which is found in Hosea chapter 7, 11 to 16. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you, and this morning as we gather in this place, Lord, we're eager to hear from you. We're eager to hear what you have to say to us in your word. Lord, we would ask that you move mightily in this place, and that we, as your people, would listen to the words that you share. Lord, there's, there's some things that are difficult in the second, second portion of, of the book of Hosea, but Lord, I would pray that we would, we would see the need for obedience and the deep need of repentance of sin. May we be willing to hear those words this morning and obey them. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hosea chapter 7, 11. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. 
I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart. But they wail upon their beds. For grain and wine, they gash themselves. They they rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They're like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the influence of their tongue. Hosea chapter 7. All right. One of the things that we're going to do um, is we're going to take a look at, at some of just the, the history of, of the nation of Israel. Because without doing so, we actually fail to miss what, what God's trying to say to the nation of Israel. Okay? The only words that I have to describe the hearts of, of God's people is they're rebellious. Everything that God's written down in Scripture has been thrown out the window. And as hearts are turned away from God, we, we start to see the, the, the ripple effect of, of their decisions to abandon their relationship with God. This nation is in civil war. They're electing corrupt kings. People, uh, the kings are getting assassinated by their successors. People are marking their lives with compromised morality, and the rate of crime is, is off the charts. Hosea chapter 4 gives us a, a small glimpse into the depravity of God's chosen nation. He writes this There is no faithfulness, no kindness. No knowledge of God in your land. There is instead plenty of transgressions. Cursing, lying, murdering, stealing, adultery, bloodshed after bloodshed. Right? This is referring to kings killing kings and human sacrifice. This is a nation that rejects knowledge. They ignored the law of God. They engaged in prostitution. They worshipped other gods and idols. They've become stubborn and blind to the things of God. And the overarching theme of the nation of Israel in the book of Hosea is that they have failed to exhibit faithfulness and love by turning their backs on God and ignoring the covenant promise that they made as a nation to the Lord and the Lord made to them. All right? Chaos is happening. And if you want to read more and just get an understanding of of just how terrible this nation had become, read 2 Kings 17. Israel's walked away. They've made that decision. They walked away from their relationship with God. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the heart of the problem. Because I believe that all of us have the same condition as the nation of Israel. And in particular, uh, what we're going to discover in our text is that by nature our hearts wander. But God's heart is for his people. As already mentioned, Israel has a problem. And it's a rebellious heart. Our text starts off this morning by saying Ephraim is like a dove, sealing without sense. When the Bible uses the name Ephraim, it's talking about the whole nation of Israel. It included the people, it included the priests, it included the prophets. And if you remember our series on Joseph that we spent last summer, you would have heard that Ephraim was the son of Joseph, the grandson of Jacob. And what happened was uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, Ephraim's the younger brother, Manasseh's the older brother. Jacob extends the blessing, crosses his hands, blesses Ephraim, inviting him 
to be a part of the nation of Israel, giving him the covenant promise. Ephraim ended up becoming the the largest tribe in the northern kingdom. But the issue with with them was that their heart was always in the wrong place. So Hosea, a prophet of God, has to call a spade a spade. And when he, he says this, this nation has no heart. Their hearts have become wicked and evil. And the reason why is they're choosing to sin. They're choosing to walk away. Hosea 4, uh, verse 11, tells us that the heart of man was filled with whoredom and wine and new wine, which has taken away all understanding. You see, the nation of Israel was really good at fooling around with other gods and other nations. And in the process, they started to abandon God's law. They allowed sin to become a regular part of their lives. Their their hearts became compromised. They they, uh, they, They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossipers, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. This is the heart of the nation of Israel, and it's the the, the, the heart of man. And the danger of our hearts is that it's so easy for them to be misled. Because the, the, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. When the Bible talks about the heart, it refers to the most inner part of humanity, the, the most inner part of who we are. And it's out of our hearts, it's, it's out of our heart that we have willing desires. It's the source of good and evil qualities or behaviors. And God wants our hearts. Not part of it, he wants them all. But Israel wouldn't give it to them. Wouldn't give it to God. And so, Israel was like a silly dove. And I don't know about you, um, but this, is, this can be a, a weird analogy, because throughout, throughout the Bible we hear of how God uses doves. Right? The Holy Spirit is, uh, is symbolized by a dove. So, so why does Hosea use the illustration that uh, Israel is silly like a dove? Now, many of you may not know this, but uh, one of my favorite times of the year is uh, kind of right in winter time because I get to go bird hunting. Okay, every fall it's my favorite activity. I know some of you are upset with me. My email is Gary at Central365.org. All right, <laughs> but I was excited when I got this passage because it meant that I could learn about doves. Okay, and the reason why Hosea uses this analogy is, is simply this: doves are not the smartest bird there is. They're easy to hunt, they're easy to catch, and they don't see the danger around them. Doves, unlike many other birds, are, are always the last to move from a, a flying object. Okay? They, they don't move out of the way, and, and they always fly back to the dangerous situation and the dangerous places instead of to safety. And what we read is that the nation of Israel in particular was turning to foreign nations. During this time, the, the whole nation, as I said, was in a state of chaos. Droughts had swept across the land, making resources limited. King after king is being assassinated. Their lives are filled with evil and wickedness. But instead of turning to their God, Israel decides to call on the help of foreign nations. They decide to submit to Assyrian rule. They start paying them money for resources and protection, kind of like the mob. And after a while, Isaiah or Israel becomes, uh, becomes sick of this. And so behind their backs, they start turning to Egypt. 
And, and they had the bright idea of, well, you know what, we should probably stop paying the Assyrians because they're not protecting us, and we've turned to Egypt, and Egypt will help us. And, and they did that without notice, and now, um, now, now destruction is going to happen. Right? Assyria is, is mad at Israel. And we look at the, the bigger picture. We see that this is a nation that was in danger. Right? They, they, it was full of depravity. And if I was to put a finger on the issue, uh, it would simply be because of this. Because they, were, uh, they, they wanted to follow their own hearts. They wanted to follow their own hearts instead of submitting and listening to God's instructions. And as I think about the, the heart of the issue, I think of our culture that says this. Follow your heart because your heart knows what's, what's right. Right? Follow your hearts because you, your, follow your hearts because your heart knows what's best. But the issue believing this is that our hearts um, are, are the very being of, of who we are, and they're easily compromised. Often our hearts are compared to our uh, to a compass, but the issue with with our hearts is that they're broken. They lead us astray, and instead of pointing us in the right direction, we we end up wandering aimlessly. We wander aimlessly in our sin. Jesus himself even said that when, when he said this, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And I don't know about you, but my heart often deceives me. And the result is always the same thing. It's always sin. Right? And as we read through the Bible, we, we understand and we know that there's consequences for having a rebellious heart. And it's that we become cut off from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2, says your iniquities have separated you from your God. And, and the reason why, um, according to Greg Gilbert, who is, uh, is an author of a book called What is the Gospel? Our young adults have been going through this, and it's a great book. I encourage you to read it. This is what he says. Sin is a lot more than just a violation of some impersonal traffic regulation. It's the breaking of a relationship. And even more, it is a rejection of God himself, of God's rule, of God's care, of God's authority, and God's right to command those to whom he gave life. In short, it is the rebellion of the creature against his creator. And that's the heart of the nation of Israel. That's the heart of man. But in no way is that the heart of God. Because as we read, God not only wants to correct the sin in our lives, but he also wants to restore our hearts. And this leads me to my second point this morning. God's heart is to save sinners. Our text says this, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like the birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to the congregation. Now I know what some of you are thinking. God's heart is to allow a kingdom to be destroyed but it was actually Israel's choice. God warned them through his law and through prophets. Right? God warned them through his covenant with them and said, this is the consequence if you don't walk with me. But that didn't change Ephraim's heart. And it's because of that that God has to respond uh, to not only a rebellious heart, but he has to respond to a stubborn heart. You see, God's heart is to save sinners. And he uses and he allows this wonderful thing called discipline to correct us and purify us and restore us. 
Discipline can be uh, best described as learning that molds character and enforces correct behavior. It is to be put into a state of good order. Now, many of us in this room don't like the idea of discipline because we associate it as cold, hard punishment. But rather, God's heart and his desire is that that the, the heart of his people be holy, that they walk with him in covenant promise. You see, from the very beginning uh, of, of God's relationship with man, his instruction has always been this. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you. But as we read through the Old Testament, especially in the book of, of Kings, we see that this nation ignored God. They ignored his word. They ignored his, their covenant with him. You see, the relationship with God uh, was not broken by God, it was broken by man. So according to his covenant promise and to the terms and the conditions that God placed on them, God steps into action and he's going to intervene and his ultimate goal is to draw the nation of Israel back into a mutual binding relationship with his people. Because he longs for them to be his people. And God longs to be their God And if it means that a nation is destroyed, so be it. Because the end goal is not their destruction, but rather it's their redemption. And in the book of Proverbs, we're told this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. You see, as a father, one of the things that I have to do as a parent from time to time is I have to discipline my kids when they do something wrong. And it's not because I don't love them, but rather it's because I know that if I don't pull them aside and I have those conversations that are sometimes hard conversations to have, uh, that, that there's going to be consequences and that they're going to continue to walk in that way because in their hearts, the things that they do is acceptable. And, and like us, they, they won't learn from their mistakes on their own. So often when, I, when I'm disciplining my kids, I have to say, guys, so... Why are you in trouble? And my kid's response is always the same. Well, you got us in trouble, Dad. It's like, no, 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 no. You pushed your sister down the stairs. You're the ones that, that, that caused the problem here. All right? You disrespected your mom, right? You punched me in the face. That, that happened once, but um, out of love, out of love. Um, but as a parent, I have to discipline my kids because I love them, right? And I want my kids to walk a certain way. And likewise, God's heart as a loving father is to teach his children the path of the righteous. God's desire is that in discipline that we see his love and it steers us to him. And it steers us to repentance. The second thing that I, I want to look at here is this, about God's heart, is that he longs to redeem. Our text continues and says this, Woe to them, for they've strayed from me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. And although this sounds really depressing, it actually isn't, because what God is doing in the midst of chaos and craziness and in their sin and disobedience is actually standing before his people before judgment has happened, and he's waving his hands and saying, Destruction's coming. Destruction is coming, but it doesn't have to. I'm going to warn you because I love you and I care for you. 
One, one commentary author wrote this, woe to them is not so much a final judgment as it is deploring, right, saying this is what's going to happen, deploring the miserable condition in God's sight of his people. His heart is grieved because God is a God of relationship and he loves his people. So knowing man's heart and knowing how it leads us astray, God stands and waves. He warns them and he reaches out his hand and his desire is to save them. And this is called redemption, which can be best defined as the release from bondage. And the only reason why the nation of Israel wouldn't be redeemed and why they wouldn't be delivered from the hands of the Assyrians was because the nation of God or nation of Israel had turned its back on God and spoke lies against him. They said things like, God's not real. He can't save. What can God the king do for us that our, our human king can't? You see, the people missed it. They forgot about God's love and that he loves to redeem. And all throughout scripture we can read story after story after story of how God redeemed and rescued his people. Physically and spiritually. From Adam and Eve to Paul and Peter, we see God rescue people's lives and transform them. But the nation forgot that. But this is the thing, is that we can be sure of God's promises and his covenant to us. Psalms um, 130 verse 8 says, He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. And likewise, this morning, God longs to redeem you and to rescue you from the bondage of sin. To save you from the consequences of your actions and, and to walk in relationship with you. He's standing this morning, waving his hands, and he's saying, if you're walking in sin, turn back. I want to redeem you. I want to redeem you. Lastly, I want us to talk about true repentance. And how repentance requires us to turn our hearts back to our first love. You see, as already mentioned, the, the biggest thing God was wanting of his people was for them to walk with him. And for them to give him their hearts. Our text continues and says, They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail on their beds. For grain and wine they gash themselves. They rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. They return, but not upwards. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the influence of their tongue. As I read this, I believe what, what Hosea is saying, what God's saying through this, is that the nation of Israel is really good at giving lip service to God. Essentially what they were doing was they were claiming to know God, they were saying that they loved Him, but in the end their lives did not reflect those words. And the truth lies in front of us that, that God longs for more than lip service from us. He longs for wholehearted devotion to him with no strings attached. And as we look at Ephraim, right, th this nation wasn't willing to give up their allegiances and their alliances with Egypt. They weren't willing to sacrifice grain and wine that they had benefited from. What were they willing to give up in order to be redeemed, in order to have salvation? And according to our text, there was nothing. Because they sat on their beds like crying toddlers who don't get their way. But this is the thing, folks. 
the only way that they could find freedom and salvation, and the only way that we can find freedom and salvation is by turning our hearts back to our first love. Returning, repenting, and relying on God. Growing up, I was a, I was a pretty straight-laced kid. I, I didn't get into too much trouble uh, that uh, many of you are aware of. Right? Uh, I, wasn't the kid, I wasn't the kid who went to parties. Um, I, I, I stayed out of trouble for most of it. Um, but one day at school, a group of my friends uh, came up to me and they invited me to hang out with them late one Friday night. And, uh, and being the smart kid, I, I said yes. But the only issue was uh, I had to sneak out of my parents' house. Right? The key was not to get caught. Right? My, my friends had this amazing plan to cause mischief. Okay? So when I, when I started hearing snoring from my parents' room... Obviously not from my father because he doesn't snore. Okay? He was in the first service and he had a big grin. He punched me afterwards. <laughs> Fatherly discipline out of love. All right? Well, so when I, heard, I started hearing snoring, I snuck out, got together with my friends, and we had this night of anarchy. Okay? We started the evening teeping trees in people's yards. We put shaving cream uh, on cars. We put toothpaste under door handles. Um... You know, teen petty crime, right? Shortly after, though, uh, something uh, truly amazing happened. The mob effect started to happen. And if you know what the mob effect is, it means everyone just goes, goes for it. So we started letting air out of tires. We threw eggs at cars. We broke stuff. Um, you know, all that good stuff that you shouldn't do. Ever. Youth. All right? Uh, but at one point in the evening, we decided that we're going to leave the crime scene because we're going to get caught. And so we went for a walk, uh, ended up at a church parking lot where there was the semi-truck. And our youth kids have heard this story before, so I'll share it with you. Um, but my friends had the bright idea of trying to see if they could light this thing on fire. So they opened the gas tank, uh, put a news, like, big thing of newspaper in, um, and they light it. And they're standing there going, oh, I hope this thing burns. And every part of me was like, not a chance. I can't let this happen. This is wrong. Right? So uh, I, I ripped the paper out, I stomped on it, I closed the tank, I told my friends that this was the dumbest thing that they could ever do, and I ran as fast as I could home. And I don't run fast, but I was running fast. <laughs> right? Because I knew what was going to happen. I knew the consequences. I knew that I would be in trouble, and, and I couldn't do it. So I ran home, and when I opened the front door as quietly as I could, guess who was standing there? Guess who never told them that, that we did all this? I just said we were at my friends. So this makes it a really bad example, but it is a good example because, because I didn't have true repentance then. I knew what I was doing was wrong. But the, the, the reason why I use this example is God longs for us to return home, to turn to him. And in our text, we read that Ephraim had called to Egypt and went to Assyria. Assyria threatened Israel. Israel's response was to turn to Egypt. They wanted help against Assyria, but the issue was at no point in their sin, at no point in their disobedience and unfaithfulness did they turn upwards. They did not turn to God. And throughout the book of Hosea and throughout scripture, we hear these words, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and, and, and return to the Lord. Come back to me. You see, there is a proper response to our sin. And it is not giving lip service to God. 
We may claim to know him. We may claim to, uh, to love him. But if our lives don't reflect the words that we say, does it mean anything in the end? Hosea 8 verse 1 tells us that the nation of Israel, the people of God had broken the covenant. They had rebelled against God's law. It says this, that Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good and enemies will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They chose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. You see, what this is saying is this, is that God longs for our hearts. Not just a part of it, but all of it. And the only way that we can give it to him is through this thing called repentance. I love what, what I, and I don't remember who, who said this, but I love what he said. Our response to sin It's deep, it's full, it's true, it's broken, it's earnest, it's devoted, it's tearful, it's prayerful, and it's humble. That's repentance. And repentance means to undergo a change of one's mind. This change is not a mere switching of our opinions, but it is the entire direction of our lives. It involves a radical turning from sin and fleeing to Christ. And in repentance, God's response is always the same. Because he loves us and he's a God who made a covenant with us. And his covenant stands because God made it. And it is this. That he will be our God. And we will be his people. That he will forgive us and restore fellowship to us. That's God's promise to us. That covenant is not based on our own actions. It's based... Or, sorry, it's, it's based on God's actions, not ours. Because like Israel and Gomer, we fall away again and again and again. And God is always there longing for us to return to him like the father longing for his son to return. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the issue with Ephraim is that they were blind in their sins to see God waving at them, warning them, and declaring his love for them. And in the end, it was their downfall. A nation destroyed because of their selfish, blind, rebellious hearts. You know, as I look at my life, and maybe you kind of get the same feeling as you look at yours, it's that feeling that, that we're a lot like Ephraim. A lot like the nation of Israel. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We're quick to worship things that aren't Him. We're quicker to replace idols uh, before God. We've turned to other things. And in the process, we actually shamefully mock God with our lives. But God's response to us is this. He longs to reconcile us. And sometimes it's going to be in the hardest of ways, like allowing a kingdom to be destroyed or by softly tugging at our hearts, convicting us of sin. God's response is always the same. Come back to me. But Israel is like a dove, silly and without sense. Hosea is an incredible book. And I don't know if you're getting that same feeling, but it's incredible. And if you skip to the end, this is what God says. 
can I give you up? How can I hand you over? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One is in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. So what's God's plan? He comes in maybe one of the most incredible ways. In the form of a little baby. Right? The Son of God to come and save us from sin. To restore us and rescue us and redeem us from, from the sin that plagues our life. God sends his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus pays the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He, he takes our sin and our shame, and you know what he does? He, he bears it as his own. So that he can save us from our own hearts. As we find freedom in God the Father. How, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over, right? God's waving. And this morning, God's waving at us. And he's saying, I long to redeem you. We're going to move into a time of communion in a second here. But this, folks, is the picture of how God redeems us. His body broken for you, his blood poured out so that we can find freedom and, and forgiveness and the weight of sin can be gone so that God can be our God and we can be his people. So let's pray. We'll invite uh, the worship team up and uh, invite the service to come forward as well. Lord God, we, we just come this morning um, knowing that we're sinners knowing, God, that we need you more than anything. And so I would pray that this morning, uh, unlike the nation of, of, of Israel, God, that we would not be blind to our sins, that we would understand the cost that was paid for us to have freedom, Lord. May that weight and that, that burden be gone. Thank you, Lord, for your word, even though it's hard at times. Thanks for disciplining us because you love us. Thanks for your grace and your mercy, Lord. It is so overwhelming to know that you died for us. So we pray this in your name. Amen.